My name is Sarah, and I am your student mobilizer for the Southeast. And I'm here tonight to talk to you a little bit about the one thing that has changed everything. Have you ever wondered how this is all going to end? Have you ever woken up and thought, what, what am I here for? What's my purpose? I mean, there's COVID, which is wrecking the world. There's talks of war. There are wars. There's extreme poverty. The job market is terrible. How's this all going to end? Where are you going to be in the next five, ten years? Well, guess what? You're not the only one that has ever thought that. For centuries, people have wondered, what is my purpose? What is going on? Why am I here? We saw that with the Jews, starting back in Exodus, in a time where they didn't hear from God. And they'd call out, Lord, Lord, deliver us. What is our purpose? Why? As the Lord delivers them and brings them into their own and gives them the kingdom, they again asked, Lord, Lord, why are we here? What is our purpose? And as the kingdom rises and falls and is captive and split and disintegrates and is absorbed, consistently the Jews are screaming, why, why, why? Win, win, win. Your promise says that there will be a Messiah, that there will be a kingdom, your kingdom. We will be your people forever. When? What? Why? See, Peter grew up asking those same questions. Peter, um, Jesus' disciple, and when I say disciple air quotes, he was the man. All right? Jesus had the crowds. He had the 12, then he had the three, but then he had the one. That was Peter. Peter's journey starts back in a little bitty town where he was a fisherman. And Peter grew up as a Jewish boy, studying the word in the synagogue, hearing the stories of God's deliverance of the, of the people out of Egypt and the establishment of a kingdom that was great and mighty, where armies of 300 would defeat thousands. Where, this, where God would do incredible things with a few. Where the king who started it all slew a giant with three stones. He grew up hearing these stories. He grew up hearing the stories of the God of the universe doing all these incredible things. Hearing the stories that the kingdom was coming, that the Messiah was coming. So he knew these things. He heard them. And just like all of us, and just like the Jews of old, he had thoughts. He had projections of what he could look like or what he would be. There were people that would rise and fall, claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to bring the kingdom. So he grew up in the midst of all of this. And he grew up as a fisherman. And he grew up with a brother. His brother's name was Andrew. And Andrew is where we're going to start our story tonight. John chapter 1, Andrew, like every good brother, wants to share about all that's going on in his life with his brother. So starting in chapter 1, verse 35, the next day again, John was standing with 
two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, and he's talking about John the Baptist, by the way. He said, behold, the Lamb of God, which is a pretty powerful statement to make. So, of course, that strikes curiosity. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, who are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, Peter. And the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, where he found Philip and said to him, follow me. So he starts to grab a hold of the rest of the disciples. I don't want you to miss how incredible this moment is. Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. Peter encountered Jesus because someone cared enough about him to bring him to Jesus, to introduce the Messiah to him. I think this is super cool because I think sometimes we forget that the scripture is not just about going, right? but it's about bringing others. And I think that's something sometimes we miss. But I love how this flushes out in Peter because if Andrew had not brought Peter to Jesus, the rest of the story wouldn't have flushed out the same. Let's look a little bit further. So now Peter is a disciple. He's chosen to follow Jesus because Jesus says what? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. All right? So, you know, that resonated with him because he's a fisherman. So he's like, yeah, I'm following Jesus. He's the Messiah. We've got this. Now, you have to remember, once again, the back of this Jewish mind is the belief that God can do anything with a few. So the, the talk of kingdoms and Jesus' conversation about the coming of the kingdom, that would have resonated with Peter. All right? He would have been like, yeah, there's 12 of us. We could take down Rome. There's no problem with that. His faith and the bigness of God, it was unshakable. He didn't doubt that God could do anything through a few. All right, that was never on his radar, and you're going to see that flesh out. But let's look a little bit more at his life. So he's walking with Jesus. He's listening to Jesus. He's hearing the teachings of Jesus. He's seeing the miracles that Jesus is performing. He's grabbing a hold of Jesus. And in fact, after the first miracle where Jesus turns water into wine, the statement is made that the disciples put their faith in him and believed. All right, so they believed Jesus was the Messiah. All right, so for three years, Peter walked with this belief that Jesus was the Messiah. Now remember, if a Jew believes that someone's the Messiah, they believe that they're going to bring the kingdom. All right, so he's, he's grabbed a hold of this, and he understands it. Yet he, it didn't quite click. See, Peter believed, and Peter, Peter knew the word, but he didn't quite trust that Jesus was who he said he was. We see this with Peter when he walks on water. You know, he's, he sees Jesus in the boat, and he runs to him and takes his eyes off Jesus, and he sinks. He didn't quite grab a hold of Jesus really was bigger than the understanding of the Messiah came. Peter, which I love this, Peter is, 
with Jesus, and after, and you know, they've had encounters with some Pharisees, and they've taught on the mountains. They're sitting around, and um, if you look in Matthew 16, verse 5, Jesus is asking, who do they say I am? All right, because remember, he's been talking. The crowds have been following. The buzz is out there. Jesus comes to the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he says to the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, who do you say I am? All right, listen, I don't want you to miss this. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Peter didn't come up with that on his own, all right? The Holy Spirit, God gave that to him, all right? God gave that to him. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Hey, don't miss this part either. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is foreshadowing. Peter is the first rock of the church foundation on Christ. But the rock that Jesus is talking about here that he's going to build his church on is not that rock of the first brick of the church that Peter is. It's the cornerstone of the church. The rock that the church is actually built on, that's called the cornerstone, is the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ. All right, so the, the church isn't built on Peter. It's built on Jesus. Peter, though, is the one that lays the first brick. We're going to get to that in a second. I'm not going to get ahead of myself because it's really exciting. So Peter didn't get that. So now, like, he's grappling with this. Like, what does all this mean? And they're turning towards Jerusalem. On the way to Jerusalem, they encounter a few other things, and they come to the city, and it's Passover. And the crowds that have been following Jesus, don't ever miss the mention of the crowds in the Scripture. The crowds that have been following Jesus, they've been listening to the teachings of Jesus. They're there to greet Jesus, screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Peter sees the crowd. He recognizes the crowd. They are there to celebrate this Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. There is buzz. This is the Passover. Maybe this is it. There's an excitement in the air. There's electricity. Maybe this is, the, this is it. We can turn and we can unite our kingdom and defeat the empire. And we can become a kingdom again. The Messiah is here. We see this play out a little bit in the garden. As Jesus and his disciples are praying and Judas comes to betray him and Peter grabs his sword. This is it. It's time. The Messiah, he's here. He's the king. Let's go. And Jesus, can you imagine the disappointment in Peter? The years of this concept of this Messiah. When Jesus says, nope. And he heals the ear. And he walks away. The incredible disappointment and confusion that Peter must have felt. What? What's going on? I have followed you. You've talked about the kingdom. You've said you're the Messiah. What is going on? I, I don't understand. And as he follows the crowd, 
and they disintegrate and they kind of are intrigued by what's happening with Jesus. And they're standing around three times. Peter is asked the question, hey, aren't you that guy? No, 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 no. Hey, don't you know him? No, 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 no. Aren't you following? No, 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 no. Three times he denies the Messiah. The most powerful thing, powerful thing in human history happens the next day. Jesus is crucified on the cross. And the disciples left in total devastation. They didn't believe Jesus really was who he said he was on that cross. Because if they had, if they had grabbed a hold of trusting, if they had grabbed a hold of what he was really saying, they would have all been at the grave. They would have all been waiting. They would have trusted Jesus was who he said he was. But, my favorite word in the Bible, but, Peter encountered the risen Savior. See, Jesus wasn't just the Messiah. He was the risen Savior. He wasn't just there to usher in the kingdom. He was there to conquer death and establish the eternal kingdom through his death and resurrection. And it wasn't until Peter encountered that that changed everything, that he understood what it meant to follow Jesus. I want you to look at John, very last chapter. Because I think this is probably the most powerful chapter in Peter's story. And I love it because this is where we see Jesus having brunch with Peter. I just want you to know, I think it's kind of fun because we like to have brunch. A lot of powerful conversations happen over breakfast. And here's an example of one. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, then feed my lambs. And I like to think that he just kind of paused and let that sit with him for a few minutes. And then Jesus says again, a second time, Simon, son of John. And I want you to know he's calling him Simon right now. He's not saying Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, and I do think he once again let it sit. Tend my sheep. And he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? I mean, come on. Of course I love you. Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he would have to glorify God. And then he says, follow me. He gave 
Peter an opportunity to wrestle with the forgiveness of his betrayal, with the grace of understanding what it meant to be loved by the risen Savior. And then Peter finally encountered what it meant when Jesus kept saying over and over again in the three years, hey, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Count the cost and follow me. And now Jesus very clearly, without mincing any words, say, hey, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And guess what? Loving me is going to cost you. That's going to cost you your life. Now, follow me. And what does Peter do? He follows Jesus because he had encountered the risen Savior. And it changed it. It clicked. It changed everything about him. It changed everything that had happened in the past. He saw everything clearly and everything different. Fast forward to Acts. Acts is the what next book. So now we've had Acts chapter 1. Jesus has declared to the world, hey, I'm leaving. I'm sending something to you, the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to have you with all authority, with the Holy Spirit, going into the nations, all right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And guess what? I'm coming back. I'm going to come back. But right now, I'm empowering you. Go. So they sit on this for a second. Chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues other as the Spirit gave them utterances. Now I need you to understand what's happening here. All right? The crowds that had said Hosanna are the same crowds that said crucify Jesus. Okay? That's the same people. They're also some of the same people that are going to be in this part of the story. Verse 8. This is the only other place in the entire scripture you're going to see this. There's two. I'm going to tell you about the second one later. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, hey, are not all of these speaking Galileans? Like, they, sh they shouldn't be speaking my language. They only speak their language. And how is it that we can hear all in our own language? I need you to understand, every nation is represented here. Every nation, all right? And there's chaos, and they're confused. In fact, they even say, hey, maybe they're drunk, all right? As if that's like an excuse for learning you know, a completely different language. But, you know, maybe they're drunk. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifts up his voice and addresses him. This is the most powerful sermon in the New Testament after Jesus. I always feel like I have to add that. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. 
since it's only the third hour of the day. But it is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your younger men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams, even my male servants and female servants. And in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on earth below, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun will turn to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Here it comes. Jesus of Nazareth, a man arrested Sorry, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Once again, these are the crowds. Some of these were probably even some of the, the people that experienced the feeding of the fish and the loaves back in the day. All right, these are the crowds that saw and heard Jesus. These are the crowds that screamed, Hosanna, and then crucified. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him and killed him by your law, you lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Hey, you killed him. God raised him. Time for you to say you're sorry. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Jesus is alive. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried. He used David because David was the king that everyone knew and everyone wanted to come back again. He died and was buried. And hey, he's still in his tomb. We can go dig him up. David is still there. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not going to abandon him to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Once again, hey, you killed him. God raised him. We saw him. We witnessed him. Say you're sorry. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Hey, and he does what he says he's going to do. Say you're sorry. For, God, for David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, the Jesus you crucified. Now they heard this. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, 
every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all of those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God has called to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and they added that day about 3,000 souls. One of the greatest sermons ever preached. Very simple. And you see a boldness in Peter that for three years you didn't see. Because he had just witnessed the one thing that changes everything. The risen Savior. And it empowered him to declare what he had bore witness to. And in fact, a little later, this is one of my favorite parts of the entire story of Peter right here. A little later, he and John have just healed a man in the temple. And once again, remember the Pharisees, they're always stirring up stuff. And they're trying to say, yeah, they can't talk about Jesus. They're still trying to say, you can't talk about Jesus. But they recognize that they can't kill him. They put him in prison. They're out. And I love this part. Verse 13 in chapter 4. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. You see, when you encounter the risen Savior, it changes you. It should change you. And people should recognize, I've been with Jesus. And they told them that they could no longer speak about Jesus. And they ordered them to do that. But Peter and John answer, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must be judged. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. For we cannot help but speak. You, you can't keep us quiet. And even though Peter knew following Jesus was going to cost him everything, still did it. And the early church was birthed. And you are here because of the faithfulness of people who could not stop sharing about the one thing that changed everything. You see, Peter, like so many people, wrestled with his perception of the story, his perception of the Messiah. And that caused him to miss some pretty key things that would have led him to a different understanding. But there was grace in that. Because when he finally saw Jesus, Peter met the one thing that changes everything, and he recognized his part in God's story. You see, all of this, all of this, not your story. I hate to break that to you. Your life is not your story. It's God's story. And he has created you on purpose, for purpose, for such a time as this, to be part of his story. To grab a hold of who he is, just like Peter finally did. And to follow him 
and to shine and radiate so people notice that you've been with them and to share. You see, some of the lessons that I want to encourage you to think about from Peter is Peter was brought to Christ. So bring people to Christ. Invite people to encounter Jesus. Grab a hold of trusting that Jesus is who he said he is, not just believing. You see, the disciples believed Jesus was the Messiah. But they didn't trust it. Belief and trust are not the same. You can believe all day long, but it's different when you start to trust. And it's different when you trust in that relationship and trust in those promises and trust even though you don't understand. Because I guarantee you these 12 these disciples, these crowds still didn't understand quite how the kingdom was going to come. And we still are living in that. But we trust that Jesus is the risen Savior because people have borne witness to it. And when you encounter that, it changes it. Peter counted the cost. Jesus clearly told him that following him was going to cost him. Every day around the world, Millions of people are having to count the cost when it comes to following Jesus. There are people in places that will lose their jobs for following Jesus. There are people in places that will lose their families. I grew up as a missionary kid in a country um, where people were killed for making a decision to follow Jesus or they were kicked out of their families. Um, and one day, uh, I was a child. A woman came and knocked on our door, and she said, I've, I've had a dream several times where an angel told me to come to this farm and that I would hear about the man of peace. So my mom told her about Jesus, and she said she wanted to believe in, in this Savior, in this man of peace, this Lord that would change everything. She went home excited to tell about Jesus to her family, to her husband and her children. Several days later, she shows back up at our house beaten. Well, her family had disowned her. Her husband had kicked her out and her children had left. You see, she had to count the cost. And she chose Jesus. There are people every day that have to count the cost. Peter counted the cost. And then declare. Peter declared with a boldness that only comes from when you know and have a relationship with the risen Lord. With a boldness, he declared and he radiated that change. That these Pharisees who for Years had been following and pestering Jesus and the disciples. These are those same Pharisees that you see over and over again in the New Testament. I mean, I can only imagine Peter's frustration with them at times. But for them to finally say, oh, wait, we can see you've been with Jesus. That's pretty powerful. See, Peter grabbed a hold of his story. Grabbed a hold of Jesus' story and he recognized what part came into play. And that is my challenge to you. Jesus created you on purpose for purpose. 
Peter recognized that Jesus wanted the most important thing to Peter, and that was Peter. There's a story in the Bible, a snapshot with Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees are coming after Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, we're going to try to trip you up. Let's talk about money. Jesus is kind of ready for this. I feel like he's a little bit on the tired side of this, but and he's like, okay. Hey, they toss a coin at him. What about taxes? What are you going to do about taxes? Jesus looks at the coin. He asks the Pharisees, whose face is on that? They say Caesar. He says, all right. And I really do believe he tosses it back at them. He goes, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. They give to God what's God's. There's a lot of people that will interpret that as money or tithing or percentage. Your first fruits, and there's an interpretation for that. But I really believe what he's actually getting at is you. He doesn't need your money. It is an act of obedience. But he wants you, his creation, his image bearers. See, he created each and every one of you on purpose, for purpose, to be part of his story, to get to the end. See, we have the answer of how this is all going to turn out. We have the answer of why, you know, chaos, I'm, I don't even know what I'm here for. What's my purpose? We have the answer. Revelation 7, 9. And behold, I saw vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, language group, worshiping the Lord. That is the it. That is the good news, the hope that there will be a representation of the multitudes of all of God's creation, his image bearers. There's going to be a representation in heaven, which is super exciting. And he's inviting us to be part of that. He's inviting you to play your part in his story. He's inviting you to take all of who you are, how he created you, to leverage that for Revelation 7-9. See, you're the generation that is the stewards of Revelation 7 52% of the world's population is under 29. The world's population is currently 7.1 billion people. So think about that. Of that 7.1 billion people, we estimate 6.5 billion are what we consider unreached and unengaged. They've never heard of Jesus Christ. They don't have access to even Google him. Some of them don't even know what to Google. They could. They've never heard the name of Jesus. And they've never encountered someone that radiated Jesus. And they could say, oh, they need Jesus. They never encountered that. 52% of that is rich. So how will they hear unless they're told? See, Peter's story reminds us that there are mobilizers. Andrew, all right, Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. 
when you have pushed out to go and to start the early church. And I and there are lots of discussions about this, but I do believe Peter starts that missionary task, that missionary movement by declaring to everyone, hey, this is, this is real. Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. And hey, he's the answer. So I just want to ask you a couple questions as we wrap up. Are you going to be like Peter and finally grab a hold of who Jesus really is? Not just a Messiah. Not just the Messiah. Not just a teacher. The teacher. Not just the Son of God but the one true living Savior that conquered death. Will you be part of the movement to get to Revelation 7-9? You have an option. You have an opportunity. We want to invite you to join us to share and declare to the world about the one name changes everything. Will you join us and be part of that movement?